ugly win, but does it even matter if it was ugly? Gale tears are delicious, I hear, regardless. What happened quicker? Salt Temple got built, Israelites <laughs> found a home, or BYU wins another natty? This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We spoke with ESPN's Jay Billis, who was on the call tonight for BYU at Gonzaga. Why Jay gives BYU a shot at Gonzaga, the Cougars' eventual fit in the Big 12 Conference when that time comes, and how Jay is connected to Mark Pope through a former teacher. Here's that interview. Jay, as an East Coast guy, how do you get yourself ultimately ready for an 11 p.m. Eastern tip start at Gonzaga? Well, I'm a West Coast guy, actually. I grew up in Los Angeles, so even though I, I live East now, I still think of myself as a West Coast guy. So my, my clocks are always set to Pacific time, so that's no problem. <laughs> Perfect. Fantastic. That's no problem. Okay, obviously a big game for BYU trying to take down Gonzaga. Gonzaga could be the new number one if they win out this week with Baylor going down. BYU's a 14-and-a-half-point dog. What are your kind of initial thoughts on this matchup? It should be easy for BYU. I mean, Gonzaga's only won 160 games in a row in, uh, in McCarthy. So, you know, you talk about a layup for Mark Pope and the Cougars. I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, you could have an easier game. So, it, it, you know, chalk one up in the win column and, and move on to St. Mary's should be no problem at all. Jay, let's say <laughs> – We wish, man. Yeah. Let's say Gonzaga does hold serve as the heavy favorite tonight against BYU. With Baylor losing, are the Zags again the clear number one, in your opinion, with a win over BYU? They may be number one. There's no clear number one this year. Uh, you could make an argument for four or five teams, uh, maybe more, as being the best team. You know, Last year was a little bit extraordinary where you had an undefeated Gonzaga team uh, and then a, a Baylor team that would have been undefeated absent COVID. Now, COVID took away a game between Gonzaga and Baylor in December, I believe, in Indianapolis that got uh, canceled because of, of COVID issues. But, um, you know, you, you have to count yourselves as lucky to have a season like that where you have two teams that are so dominant. Uh, this year, we don't have that. And, and people can think that's good or bad. It's just it's, this year is more of what I would call a normal year where, you know, we don't have an undefeated team uh, in, into the middle of January. Um, heck, there wasn't an undefeated football team. So uh, how could we expect to have an undefeated basketball team? But Gonzaga is very, very good. They're not as good as they were last year, but they're still really good. But they're gettable. Um, I think you play well. They don't, they're not as great of a shooting team as they've been, uh, but they're still unusually good passing and cutting team that I think they're shooting 62% on twos this year, which is, is less than they did last year, but it still leads the nation. So they get a lot of layups out of their half-court offense. And that's really going to be a key for BYU is how much can they make Gonzaga play half-court ball rather than play in transition and be able to play against a defense that's not set or even play ahead of the defense if there's a turnover or a quick shot that leads to a runout. Yeah, Caleb Lunder was talking about that this week. He said, we got, you know, blitzed the first couple of minutes uh, last time. We got to get back in transition. So that means BYU might not hit the glass as much, which is uh, brings us to the front court conversation. Certainly if BYU has Gavin Baxter and Richard Harwood, you at least feel like, hey, maybe the Cougars can make some shots and play a little defense and, and hang in this thing. But when you're throwing a, a, you know, a talented but young freshman Fusini Traore out there, 
from Molly against Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. That's certainly a tall order uh, for BYU's front court. It's difficult, but you know it, that's always a decision that that any coach has to make is how many do you send to the offensive glass, and you know you can send one, you know, or two, or you big guys, and then try to get back. But one of the ways you, you can slow down a transition team is by pounding the offensive class and making them stick around to make sure they don't give up second shots. Uh, so a lot of it's going to come down to the quality of shot that BYU is able to get. Uh, if you're taking a ton of threes, those, those make long rebounds and, and can lead to runouts. Um, and, and if you take quick shots uh, that, that aren't expected, those can lead to some runouts. But it's a different challenge to play. Like St. Mary's, you know, and that was a rock fight that BYU and St. Mary's played for the team. Uh, you know, the referees allowed it to be a hockey game. And then, and then you had, uh, you know, open shots being missed. And, and I think those two things are connected. But uh, as you guys know, St. Mary's plays a, a very deliberate style. They're a much slower, lower possession team. And, and Gonzaga is not that. I mean, they are gonna, they're going to push it. And so it's, it's going to be a, 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 a real challenge for like somebody like a, a Tiki Ali, Tiki played really, he might've had his best game against St. Mary. Absolutely. But yep. he'll probably struggle a little bit more in a faster game where quicker decisions, um, you know, sometimes, especially for a freshman big guy, it's a lot easier to play in a slower game. And so it'll be a little bit more challenge for him. Um, but I'm not sure, honestly, that the challenge is, is just in the front court. You know, I think you know Gonzaga runs so much uh, uh, quality. It's almost like a European style offense or international offense. Uh, so you're going to be guarding different guys and different actions. Um, so it's not necessarily front court versus front court as much as it is. You know, you got to have five guys alert uh, to take away all the things that Gonzaga does, and uh, and it. it it can wear on you during the course of a game. And, you know, you make defensive mistakes, you give up layups, those can be pretty deflating. ESPN college basketball insider and analyst Jay Billis is with us on BYU Sports Nation. The Cougars off to a 14-3 and start. We've already talked about losing their two main big men in the front court. Jay, in your estimation, how has been able, or BYU rather been able to piece together a season where they've only lost three times in 17 games thus far? You know, they're, I think they're kind of a grinding team, and I don't mean that in any way other than they find ways to win. So they, they've won ugly at times. Uh, they've won making threes. I mean, Alex Barcelo is one of the best players in the country that probably doesn't get the credit for it. I mean, there, there's not, there aren't three or four guys that are in his class as a shooter, uh, and, and he makes uh, uh, not only threes, but he's got a good mid-range game, and he's a very creative uh, finisher around the basket, uh, going off, you know, his left leg, right leg, floater, runner. Um, you know, he's got a, he's got a, a well-rounded game as a scorer and he's seen every defense that, that can be thrown at a player, but he's got to be the guy. Um, you know, there are other guys on the BYU roster that can score. Uh, they've got guys that can score, but Barcelo, I think, has to become more aggressive looking for his shot, and that'll help open some things. It's not that he has to score every time, but just being aggressive looking for it. He's so unselfish. I think it goes against his nature to think shot first. But, uh, but I actually think that would help their offense if, if he would become even more uh, of, a, of a hunter of shots rather than, than – and, and you know, I'm not saying he's doing a bad job. The guy's averaging 17 points a game and shooting an ungodly percentage. He's a great player. 
but uh, a little more of a me first thought on offense. Um, I actually think could help uh, his teammates get some opportunities. What a novel concept in 2022. You're asking someone to be selfish. It's great. I love it. Um, okay, let's talk about the WCC. San Francisco has joined Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's as a team that's trying to get uh, you know, an, an at-large bid. It should Gonzaga you know, win the league in Vegas. Um, do you feel like it's four-bid league right now? Lenardi feels pretty confident San Francisco's in at this point. Yeah, I think San Francisco's really good. You know, I had them. I haven't seen them in person this year. I had them last year against Virginia, and those guards are really good. I mean, Bouye and Shabazz are, are legit. Uh, and Todd Golden does a really good job with them. They're, they're believers. And uh, do I think they're as good as Gonzaga? No. Uh, but there's nobody else in the league that they cannot beat. And so with, uh, with Gonzaga, uh, you know, San Francisco, BYU, those are three tournament teams. And, uh, and I think St. Mary's uh, is a tournament team. You know, I saw them out in Vegas in the Maui Invitational. This sounds a little bit odd to say, but, um, you know, they, they, they played really well and had a great opportunity to beat Wisconsin. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think, I think there's, a, there's a very good chance you see those teams all in the NCAA tournament. But uh, the truth is, you know, the games that the, all those teams have against each other are the most important. Like, you don't want to drop a game against Pacific or Pepperdine. You know, it's not like you, you can't, you know, you, you can lose those games. I don't, uh, you can lose one, but you can't lose very many. But the, the games you have against the top four in the league are going to determine uh, the tournament bids and, and, and how you play against Gonzaga. Like, you can't get blown out. You have to, have, you have to play well in, in that game uh, because I think you'll get credit for playing well. Um, you know, look, nobody gets great credit for a loss, but, but how you play in those games against Gonzaga, I think will be, will be a factor. Jay, Mark Pope in his two years has BYU certainly pacing in the right direction. In 2020, had the tournament actually taken place, the Cougars were a projected six seed. BYU was an actual six seed last year that lost to a UCLA team that got hot and went to the Final Four. What are your impressions of Mark Pope as a coach and what he's doing at BYU now into season three? Well, I think Mark's an outstanding coach. You know, he's he started his career at Washington and wound up playing for Rick Pitino, Kentucky, on that historically great '96 NCAA championship team. And he actually played for uh, Rich Belcher in high school in Washington, uh, who was my my freshman English teacher and <laughs> the guy that I actually played for what? Uh, in in Los Angeles. Uh, so we have that in common. Um, but I think he's doing a great job. And, uh, and as you guys know, you know, BYU isn't the easiest place to recruit to, but there are some, there are some really good advantages there. I mean, one of the, 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 it's an, both an advantage and a disadvantage because of the, the, the missions that players go on, you know, it's not like they can sit and work on their games while they're on missions, but when you get them back, you can have an older team. And, uh, and I think that's, that, that, that helps a little bit. You know, it's a give and take on it. There, there are pluses and minuses, but, but the pluses are significant. And, uh, and so I, I think they play a, a mature game as an older team. They've got a really old backcourt. And, uh, and I, I, you know, T. John Lucas I watched at Milwaukee, and he's a really good player and one of the underrated passers and handlers in the country. Um, you know, so BYU is legit, and, and, you know, Mark does a great job with him. You know, he's got such a great demeanor. He's very positive. Um, it's not that he doesn't hold players accountable, but I think he shows that you don't have to be some screaming maniac to get guys to play for you and to play together. Uh, so that's kind of refreshing. And he's fun. 
Um, you know, he, he doesn't take himself too seriously. I mean, <laughs> you know, some of these coaches act like they're the president of the United States. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but, but he, uh, he has a pretty good sense of, of who he is and where he is. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. To your point about missions, one of the kind of unique rules there is, you know, you, you could play basketball, but you can only play on half court. So, you know, return missionaries, they have no transition game, Jay. It's just all, it's just all in the half court, probably three on three, you know what I'm saying? And it's really hard to play in short sleeves and a tie. <laughs> um, so that's something that the NCAA probably should step in on. Uh, that, that's probably an unnecessary restriction that yeah. sets the guys back a little bit. Uh, B- BYU athletes on missions need an NIL deal with like suit companies, men's warehouse or something. Um, I did want to ask you if, if you felt like, you know, when you both were in your prime that you could take Mark Pope in the post. Do you feel like you could take him? I could foul him. Uh, I don't know if I could take him. Uh, I don't even remember what it was like to play. I'm so old now. Uh, you know, I love it when people say, well, when you played, um, you know, what did you do in these situations? I go, when I played, there was no three-point shot. And, uh, and I used to laugh when, when people would ask, well, what did you do for the Duke-Carolina game? What did you guys do during the daytime? you know, to occupy your time for a nine o'clock game. I go, we didn't play nine o'clock games back then. It was never dark when we played. We played one o'clock Saturday games. You know, that's back when it was more college sports instead of the NBA. It's it's totally different now. (laughs) Jay, BYU was a year and a half out from joining the Big 12, and we all know the gauntlet that basketball schedule will be for a team like BYU. So for the Cougars to be a tournament team as they transition into that loaded conference, What's the key? What do they need to do? What do they need to change as they make the move to the Big 12? You know, I think the only thing that, that any team making that move has to do is continue to recruit uh, at a high level. And, you know, just for example, like, uh, like Foos Traore is, uh, is going to be a junior, I believe, by the time they make that move. And, and, you know, that's going to, he's going to be ready to play in that league by the time he gets there. It's not that he couldn't handle it now, but, but he'll be far more prepared. Um, so, you know, continuing to recruit big bodies, guys that can handle, uh, cause it's more of a pounding and it's not necessarily, you know, the top teams in the league. There's nobody in that league that BYU can't play with. I'm not suggesting that what I'm saying is, you know, and, and look, this is no disrespect to the West coast conference, but, you know, you got some breathers in that league and, and there, there are games that you play where you're not playing against, you know, these physical specimens. Um, every team in that, in the big 12, it it has, has talent and has players and has big bodies and has big time athletes. And so even when you're playing a team that's at the bottom of the league, they, they can, they can physically hang and uh and make it difficult so you know it can wear you down if you don't have the 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 right body so you know recruiting is always an issue when you're in a power five league i'm sweating thinking about playing in the big 12 right now (laughs) you'll have a blast it'll be fun um you know obviously the road trips will be be different it'll be a lot different going to you know west virginia and lawrence kansas but but you won't you won't believe how good the arenas are i mean every game uh, is uh, is loaded and uh, and that, that's more fun and yep. and again I don't want to be disrespectful to any program but you know look players especially after they got out of college uh, when they talk about their careers they're not going to be saying hey remember that game we played against Pacific and again no disrespect but but it's true you know but but every game they play in that league is going to be more important 
And the truth is players want to play in important games and the coaches may not like it because the, you know, the more important games you play, the more chances you have to lose. But, uh, but there's a difference between, you know, like every game's important. I don't want to suggest that, but, but there's a difference between important and big. And that's the way I should, should have probably phrased it is, is the games in the big 12 are going to be bigger and, uh, and that's going to be more fun for everybody. I can't think of many scenarios where I'd trade Malibu for a place like Lubbock, but going to the Big 12 yeah, now is, we do. is something now that we do. BYU is very excited about and uh, would do so. Hey, look, I grew up not far from Malibu, and it's great, but Buddy Holly did not grow up in Malibu. He grew up in <laughs> Lubbock, and, and Malibu does not have drive through liquor stores. There are, some, there are some real positives there that you guys, and I, and I realize I'm talking, I'm talking to people at BYU. Wrong here. audience. Uh, so the liquor, the liquor stores may not, may not uh, be as popular, but it's still a nice feature. Oh, Jay, uh, great to talk with you. I think my last question is, did you get an A in that freshman English class? I got A's in all my classes. Don't you realize who you're talking to? <laughs> I knew it. I should have asked. That's the story I'm going to tell. Whether it's true or not, I will leave it up to you. Fantastic. Jay, enjoy the call tonight. We look forward to listening to you uh, as BYU and Gonzaga face up for the first time in 2022. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Great being with you. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. B, we just saw a tweet from our good friend at Brett underscore McMurphy releasing his edition of the final AP Top 25 poll. We said, look, BYU number 13, there's no way they're going to drop 12 spots. Well, Brett, he's rewarded the whole season for BYU as the de facto Pac-12 South champions, Jerem. As you should. And has BYU at number 16 to finish. That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. I I'm hoping BYU finishes in that space. I think that's probably on the high end. I'm guessing that BYU is like 19th to 21st Okay, from most people. The only thing that BYU fans probably won't like about Brett McMurphy's final top 25 is that Utah's number 13. <laughs> I went to the Rose Bowl in last close game. I know. I know. Yeah. You have to convince me. I know. I'm just that saying. A, that was a great game. It will not like to see that, was, that. That was the most ideal situation ever. For who? Probably both. <laughs> Obviously, Utah wanted to win, but like if you didn't, hey, you competed well and it was a good game. Yeah. No, I, I look forward to the day BYU can be in a, a game of that stature. That'd be great. Speaking of uh, Utah and BYU, the guy that Utah did not recruit and BYU did recruit, and we're grateful for it because he was the second overall pick in the NFL draft last April, Zach Wilson Who? just finished his rookie season in the NFL with the New York Jets. Four wins, 13 losses that included some high highs and some unforgettable highlights. Long touchdown run. There was the long touchdown throw rolling out to the right where he pointed to Corey Davis and just said, essentially, go deep. Mm-hmm. They beat the Titans, who are the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. And that was a game. That was the only game-winning comeback drive by Zach. But he had like, one. Like that was. A, I'm not saying. Yeah, he only had one. I, I, I guess what I mean is, he had one, and it was that one. Yeah. Like it wasn't playing some crappy team. It was the Titans. Like amazing in week four. So that yes. was that was awesome. Yes. Man. So let's look at Zach Wilson's rookie season yep. as a whole, and. I can't tell you how many times you and I have discussed on this set, look, Zach doesn't need to be, like, incredible. He just needs to have moments of brilliance. And a few of those, wow, 
experiences. Yeah. And he produced that three mm-hmm. rookie of the week belts that they actually give out for winning uh, the best rookie performance of any individual week. That's pretty good, Jerem. How would you rate Zach Wilson's overall rookie season in his NFL debut season? Hopeful is how I would describe it because Zach had his issues uh, even yesterday, but yesterday was like just he was getting pressured every time, right? Zach held on to the ball for a little while early on. Uh, but the final seven starts, five touchdown passes, four rushing, second most, by the way, among all rookie quarterbacks. And here's the one that, that really shows me Zach was figuring it out. He w- had an 80-plus quarterback rating in four of the last seven. Okay, He was starting to figure it out. Now, the Jets certainly need to help him with some better offensive weapons, obviously sure. a better offensive yes. line. But there were moments where it was like, hey, he's starting to figure it out, which is super exciting. It doesn't help when he's sacked 44 times, third most in the NFL. Eight times yesterday. Which Eight times is crazy. Which, by the way, being sacked a lot doesn't mean you're not going to be a good team. Joe Burrow's one, Ryan Tannehill's two, a one and a three seed. Uh, sacked on 10% of dropbacks, second most to Justin Fields. Too many. Um, needs to get the ball out, slash the O-line's got to be better. Um, three and ten record. 6.4 yards per carry. He rushed effectively as well. Um, he, got the, he got the one uh, you know, injury that he missed four games with. Um, but overall, um, football reference says 22% of his throws were bad, but he was pressured on 29% of snaps. One out of everything. Like, they need to help him be able to have a sack to get the ball out. 157 and, straight passes, by the way, with no interceptions. Fantastic. Under that pressure. After being really bad at the start. Which, listen, if you're a rookie and with the Jets, those numbers are to be expected. I don't care what your name is. Like, you know, he had a better year than Trevor Lawrence did. You know what I mean? Like, and the Jags are terrible, too. Uh, unless it's yesterday against Colts. <laughs> they were awesome. But um I would yeah, hopeful because he didn't I wouldn't say he had like I, I you could say relatively speaking, good year. Right? The the number some of those numbers are bad. Nine passing touchdowns, ah, eh, in thirteen starts, you gotta be better than nine touchdown passes. But you're with the Jets. The Jets suck. So I kind I understand some of this. I'm excited about where he can go in the future. I really hope they can get him what he needs. And then, then it, we can judge it differently. Right now, it's like you're on the Jets and you're a rookie. There are two sort of curves we're grading there. Well, think about this. He had two from the beginning of the season to now. He had two of the New York Jets' best offensive linemen out for the majority of the season, including Mackay Becton, who they lost early. So he's at left tackle he's playing with an already questionable offensive line that became even more questionable when oh, you lose your terrible. best offensive lineman. He's also at the end of the season throwing to receivers. Three, four, and five. He wasn't even throwing to his top two receivers. Yep. And he was playing with three, number three and four on the depth chart in the running back's room. I, I, he had very little to work with, but I thought he did a nice job. I thought all of those guys that were well down the depth chart kind of stepped it up. And Zach figured some things out. And so I'm hopeful that next year, and it's not going to be a huge jump, I feel like the Jets are, and they play 17 games, the Jets are a six to eight win team next season. That's growth. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and, that's, and that's the hope because, again, I'm afraid for Zach in the long term because I don't believe in the Jets, that they'll be good at any point that matters. But when they were good with Mark Sanchez, who Zach Wilson has a higher ceiling than Mark Sanchez, hopefully Zach Wilson doesn't run into the back of anybody and create a highlight. <laughs> <laughs> the butt fumble. The butt fumble, which is the greatest name in the history of whatever. 
is that yes, he's got can he can he be the elevator once they actually give him a chance? And I don't want to just make excuses for him. Again, Zach's gonna Zach's gonna be a good NFL quarterback. I don't know if it's with the Jets. I hope it is. Six to eight win team next year. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now over Zoom is the commissioner of the West Coast Conference, the fabulous Gloria Navarez, who is working overtime and then some. Gloria, great to have you on the show. How are you today? Really good. Great to see you guys. Glad to see you and that you are doing healthy. Uh, How would you explain your job as the commissioner of the WCC, let's say, over the last couple of months? You know, I never thought we'd still be in dealing with COVID, what are we, two years later now? But, you know, the good thing is we know we can get through it. It's not fun. It's frustrating. And it gets a little hectic, especially when the first two weeks of conference season gets interrupted. But just like last year, our presidents, athletic directors are are working together and we're close to rescheduling pretty much every game we've lost. And um optimistic that we can catch our stride again and and get through conference play with fewer interruptions now that most of our teams are probably in that 90-day window. What would have to happen to go back to the Ken Pomeroy standings and or mix up the schedule? Well, you know, on the men's side, we have a 16-game uneven round robin, and on the women's side, we have a full 18-game double round robin. So if any team doesn't complete their normal schedule, we would default to Ken Palm if it impacted the seeding for our tournament, the final ranking of all our teams. Mm. You said that you have already put in place plans to reschedule most of the games, which is fantastic news. We love to hear it. Walk us through that process. When you find out, from the moment you find out that a team can't play, What then happens, and how long after that are you typically discussing, okay, well, when can it happen again? Well, the when last year was pretty quick because as soon as you had a one positive case on a team, the whole team had to sit per county regulations in most places, whereas this year was a little bit more nuanced because we're vaxxed, we're boosted, you know, the contractation, exposure, symptomatic. So even if one person got a positive we weren't always sure if that meant the whole team had to sit. For example, in LA County, if you have three positives, the local requirements are that the whole pod team, in this case, has to sit because it's considered an outbreak. So, and over the Christmas break, we had flights canceled and students not being able to get back in time in order to get tested. So it was a lot more protracted and nuanced. But after that, you have 48 hours to work with the opponent school to try to reschedule something. If that can't be done between the schools. Then it comes to my desk and I try to get involved and either find a date and time uh, to force the contest or I have the authority to call it a no contest and take it off the schedule. Where do we stand with BYU at Portland from New Year's Day in that regard? I believe at this point, and again, I'd have to check with my team, everything is either in the process of being locked in or locked in, but I couldn't tell you exactly when it is. Glory, what does your calendar look like right now? A hot mess. (laughs) Hopefully digital. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Yes. The West Coast Conference Commissioner Gloria Navarez is with us on BYU Sports Nation. 
Let's talk about the conference tournament in Las Vegas at the Orleans Arena. What type of contingencies are in place if, and heaven forbid, things get worse and trend in the wrong direction with COVID? Yeah, well, you know, we did it last year. We we went without fans and we did, we didn't do a true bubble, but we did contain and offer testing and a contained environment for the participants and the staff working the event. So we're prepared to do that again, but I'm optimistic that, um, we'll, we'll be in a normal configuration. And I do think depending on what the local requirements are in Las Vegas at that time, it, it's looking like we'll have a tournament as close to normal as we can. Fantastic. The West Coast Conference has produced a three-bid league twice, would have been three probably in 2020 had that tournament been held. This year, it's projected as a four-bid league with San Francisco doing some real work. How uh, elated is the the conference uh, office right now that right as of now, and hopefully it stays into March, right, that right now this is a four-bid league? I, if the tournament were today, we'd have four teams in for sure. And and that is a culmination of all the great work of the athletic directors. Even before I, I took the position in non-conference scheduling, the structure of conference play, the structure of our tournament. And it's really been an all-in effort to grow the strength in basketball. And it's really good to see it's starting to reap some rewards. And I, I do think it's not a fluke. It's what we've listed as our goal it's what we've been working toward and you know we have a tremendous group of coaches and athletes that have really gotten it done even through these troubling times gloria you're in a very tricky position for several reasons and with four teams in play to make the ncaa tournament if and again we hate to see any games canceled but if some games are canceled would you then because you want four teams to get in the tournament feel pressured or forced to cater to those four teams to bolster their specific resumes? How would that work? So I have, when games come to my desk to decide whether I force them to be played or I can declare them non-contest, I have a series of criteria that sounds like, you know, um, impact on conference standing, impact on cost, missed class time, um, impact on our ability to get national rankings and, entrance or seating in the NCAA tournament. So every case is different, but to your point, I am uh, authorized to consider impact on postseason. And that is interesting because a game like Portland for BYU doesn't necessarily help the Cougars. It could only hurt should they lose. So you have some, uh, some fun criteria to walk through with that. I did want to ask you about uh, BYU's exit of the WCC coming up in 2023. What were the conversations like with Tom as BYU didn't leave immediately, but was going to give it not one, but two years of, of staying in the league. I thought that was a unique move. Yeah. And, you know, uh, President Worthen and Tom Homo have been fantastic because every time there's been conference realignment around football, BYU has been named in the mix, whether it's fact or rumor. And so we've always had really great communication. And when this one started bubbling up, you know, the chance for BYU to have their football program aligned with a power five conference, like the big 12, you know, that's something you just, you can't deny and BYU has always been transparent about wanting to get there someday. So we had great communication. Um, I'm particularly thankful that they gave us two years because that gives us a little bit more breathing room, especially with all this COVID craziness to really evaluate where we're going to be, whether we replace BYU or whether we should expand, gave us a little bit more um, time to do that. But I, I can't tell you, I think, 
everyone in the league agrees that the 10 years BYU has been with us, they've really fit despite being a little bit different in size and scope and, than the rest of our schools. And they've really made us better. Where do you think that the BYU and West Coast Conference relationship have mutually benefited the most over now a decade plus? You know, when BYU came into the league, obviously they were strong in certain sports, but they weren't, you know, taking home the title in every single sport. And I really think they've pushed all of our teams across all the sports to get better. They're always in the top two, three, four in there. But, you know, Santa Clara women's soccer, Pepperdine tennis, Pepperdine golf, um, we, we still have this great depth and diversity at the top of our league, and I feel like BYU has helped push that even higher. And BYU has benefited a ton from being in the league. I'm not sure we, you know, the WCC was massively on our consciousness prior to uh, being in the league, but it has been an amazing experience, and I'm looking forward to another year after this one. Um, but BYU fans have enjoyed the WCC. Trust me, the fans have enjoyed the travel. We used to go to Laramie, Wyoming, Gloria. Uh, <laughs> we love Malibu. We love LA. We love Spokane. You know, it's been awesome. Let's finish with this. BYU. There isn't a bad place to travel. No, right, for no, sure. It's right? amazing. I've been able to hang out with my homies in the 503 in Portland. It's been great. Okay, let's finish with this. BYU at Gonzaga in men's basketball tonight. Certainly Gonzaga, an opportunity to become the new number one again. Uh, but big opportunity for BYU where they have won in the kennel before. So it should be a fun one tonight. Absolutely. And, you know, BYU's got a couple good games on the horizon here. They get St. Mary's and USF. I can't remember what order. Yep. Um, and I heard Baylor did lose, so this could be a chance to really bolster, you know, both the rankings, no matter the outcome for these two teams. Gloria, it's great to talk with you. We appreciate everything you've done for BYU and the West Coast Conference, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and thanks for all the support of the league. Appreciate you both. Absolutely. Gloria Navarra is commissioner of the West Coast Conference with us on BYU Sports Nation. What an unbelievable job. She's got to navigate she a lot has right done now. Navigating through this craziness. Right? And she's exactly right. Like, both have mutually benefited. That's the kind of relationship you want to get into, whether it's with people or business or whatever. Like, what BYU and the WCC have had has been amazing. And now BYU has this amazing opportunity to, to advance its athletic program. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. The all-title winning score in BYU basketball on my homie on Countdown to Tip-Off now joins us on the show. He is Tyler Hawes as we look ahead to Gonzaga and San Francisco on the road. Tyler, what's up, man? How are we doing, guys? Thanks for having me on. We're doing great. Uh, you know, we talked some football, 2021, where it ranks all time. I know you have this team seventh. No, I'm just kidding. Let's talk hoops. Um, at Gonzaga, at San Francisco. So how do, you, how do you approach the Gonzaga games? Because you've been up there, and you've won. And certainly this team is capable of winning. They'd be more capable if they had Richard Harward and or Gavin Baxter in terms of matching up with Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, a.k.a. McLovin, it doesn't feel like it's a great matchup. But certainly what BYU showed in the WCC title game, granted with 7-3 Matt Harms, was that BYU can hang, didn't finish, but at least could hang. Let's. What, what do you think? I think they absolutely can hang. You know, I think 
the one silver lining in this season uh, so far has been their defense. The one strength I, I'd say that the entire year has been just how well they've played defensively, how well they've defended the three point line. Uh, and despite the absence of Harward and, uh, and Baxter, I mean, they've been able to do some really, really good things and uh, just overcome those challenges. And so uh, they definitely uh, have a chance to go up there and compete. Um, you know, coach Pope knows what it takes to, to go up and, and win up there. And so uh, there, you can't count them out, you know, and I, having said all that, BYU is going to have to play really well offensively. You got to put together a complete game to be able to beat them up there. And so, you know, in my opinion, I think they need to at least score 80 and they've only done that. I think three times this season. And so they're going to have to shoot the ball well and defend. And I mean, the Zags just bring back an unbelievable roster. They're so, so deep in every position. You know, I think they had five or six guys in double figures last game, scored 117 points. Uh, and so, you know, they're going to put their best foot forward. They definitely want to beat BYU. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be a fun game, fun challenge. I agree with everything you just said. Their defense has been really, really good. And that's that's fun to be able to see because it keeps them in. I, I agree with you in terms of the offense. The offense is going to have to score at a higher clip. I also think, Tyler, you know, one thing we've seen that this team struggle with is turnovers, and especially against mm -hmm. a team uh, that likes to get out in transition. I, I, BYU's got to cut down on the turnovers. I think if they can do that, I, I think they, they give themselves a, a really good shot here despite being an 11-point underdog. For sure. With every Gonzaga team, the margin of error is so little and they just make you pay for every turnover, every little mistake that you make, they, they make you pay. And so, um, yeah, they're going to have to take care of the ball. They're going to have to get back in transition. They're going to have to do the little things and put together a complete game to be able to, to compete. I mean, uh, I mean, they're just so talented offensively. This Chet Holmgren, I mean, he is he is about as talented as I've I've seen. So long, so athletic, can shoot, can handle the ball, and then you got Drew Timmy inside, just brings all this experience and toughness. And uh, they play. I, I was talking to someone the other day. They play so loose, but so confident at the same time. And Mark Few just does such a good job with his guys and and finding that balance of like focus but playing loose. And uh, they're. They're a fun team to to watch and, and play against. Well, and I also think avoid – because Gonzaga, regardless of who they play, their goal, when the game tips off, their goal is to be up by 20 in like three or four minutes. Like they want to blow teams out early and crush their confidence. I think not just a strong start, I mean, because that's, that's obvious. I think if BYU can weather that early storm, I think that goes a long way for how the rest of the game plays out. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, they they definitely come out swinging and and want to show you that they're the number two team in the country. They come they come out with a lot of intimidation, and you know especially up there, uh, it, it gets loud, it gets crazy, uh, and and so th that's definitely part of their scheme. But you know BYU is ready for this challenge. They've been on the road in some tough environments uh, this year and and done really well so far, and so you know I think they're they're ready for that. And, you know, the, the big question mark in my mind is can, can they score, right? 
they're going to weather that storm defensively, but can they get going offensively? And, you know, can they put together a game where they hit, you know, 10, 12, 13 threes and they get good contributions out of, out of Trevin Nell and Seneca Knights and Gideon George, right? Those, those guys to me are, are the X factors. I think Alex Barcella is going to do what he does. Um, and, and Tijon Lucas is going to be in double figures. I think we can expect those things out of those guys, but it's all the contributing guys. How is Foos going to handle um, the physicality inside of, uh, of Timmy and, and, um, and their other bigs, right? How, 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 how is he going to, um, you know, get, getting the flow offensively uh, against those guys. And so uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this team does. I, I'm, th- this team is more than capable. I mean, they had, they're very talented and uh, this BYU group is capable of putting a night together. And, and we've seen it before uh, BYU, the stars have aligned uh, on Gonzaga a few times and, and those are the fun nights. Yeah, a strong start would be awesome. In one of the wins when Gonzaga was number one, BYU was down 18-2. to two. So it doesn't have to happen, but it's not ideal going down 16 yes. in the kennel. Okay, let's talk about one area that I am very concerned about. That is the front court. You talked about Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. How does BYU match up there? Because certainly against St. Mary's, it's one thing when, when Foos almost has a double-double and Atiki Ali Atiki has a couple of blocks and played really nice defense. They're going to have to do that and probably even more against those two in, in the kennel, will they not? For sure. No, they're, I think they're going, to, they're going to have to win the rebounding battle, which they can. Caleb Lohner, Gideon George in there, uh, Atiki Ali Atiki, and, and then Foos. I mean, they have all the physical tools to be able to do it. Um, but, you know, will they? Will they against an experienced Timmy and, you know, Chet Holmgren inside? And, and I mean – they have a bunch of other, you know, big dudes. A- Anton Watson, I mean, has been playing really, really well, 6'8". They, they just have a bunch of physical uh, bigs inside. And so um, can, they, can they control the boards? Can they, can they make them uncomfortable on their home floor uh, it, it are some of my biggest questions. This is uh, not just Gonzaga week. It's a, it's a big week because of both games. You're on the road at Gonzaga and then at San Francisco. I mean, these are the teams that you're competing with atop the WCC. What, in your opinion, is the bigger game? Yeah, I mean, arguably this is the, the, the toughest, you know, road stretch uh, that BYU will have this whole season. You know, if you, if you zoom out, um, you know, I think – this Gonzaga game, you know, it, it'd be unbelievable if they won. It's not the worst thing in the world if they if they drop this one, um, but it is a huge opportunity, right? Um, you you want to treat every game like it's the most important game. That's their mindset, and they they're going into this game uh, to win it. And everyone in that locker room believes that they can do it. And so, um, you know, I I think the biggest game though, if we were to zoom out big picture stuff is this San Francisco game. Um, they're, they're, you know, a top, a top 40 team right now. And so, uh, that would be a huge win for them. Um, if they, if they want to get into, uh, you know, uh, Tyler, who's calling you right now? Getting a, I'm, getting, I'm getting a call guys. You can't, t- you can't tell them you're on TV right now and radio. <laughs> Getting a call. I'm a busy man, guys. <laughs> That's busy awesome. man. No, but 
the biggest game to me is San Francisco, just because of what it could do for uh, the seed that they get uh, in the NCAA tournament. Summer's like, why'd you ignore my FaceTime? <laughs> <laughs> gotta be ready. Gotta, gotta be, you know, on my toes. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Sports Nation. Bring on the Zags. BYU trying to prevent Gonzaga from becoming the number one team in all the land with what they hope is another upset at the kennel. Mark Pope hasn't done it. Dave Rose and his teams did it three times. Yep. Be a great time to pull that off. Pope was an assistant. This is true. This is true. BYU right now is a 15-point underdog, according to our friends in the desert, and according to Ken Pomeroy, a 12-point underdog. So, Jerem, with those numbers in mind, and knowing that Gonzaga has won like a billion games in a row at home, what are the expectations realistically for BYU at Gonzaga tonight? Win! No. um, Compete. Compete well. Play a single-digit game. Honestly, that's what I want. I want a single-digit game. BYU had it at home. For some reason, kept fouling Gonzaga last year. Otherwise, <laughs> it would have been. And then, obviously, up there was a blowout. And in Vegas, BYU was up 15 and, unfortunately, got away from BYU late in the last four minutes. Um, that was rough. If BYU plays a single-digit game and can compete, that'd be good. Because guess what? The reality is BYU – re, this is the reality. Let's straight talk here. BYU is overmatched in the front court. In fact, Gonzaga overmatches almost everyone in the front court because Drew Timmy is one of the best, if not the best player in the yes. country. Chet, Chet Holmgren's going to be a top three pick in the NBA draft, seven footer who can shoot the he three. He plays like Kevin Durant. He's he's McLovin with a handle. Okay? He plays like Kevin Durant. Yes, he's the he's white Kevin Durant light, you know, or whatever. It's crazy. Uh, light meaning half of what his skills or something, but. It's going to be a tough matchup. Yet, BYU has two sixth-year college guards that hopefully can inject some life, some pace, some energy, some force, as Mark Pope said. Uh-huh. And give BYU a shot here. Trevin now played really well in Vegas, hopefully does tonight. Fusini Treor, Atik Ali Atiki's got to really bring it. And hopefully BYU can be in the mix late and make it interesting. To expect to win would be naive. To expect to compete, I think, is realistic. Yeah, may the force be with you, T. John Lucas, specifically. Uh, everybody. Let's go. When T. John makes a three, and I know I keep saying it, BYU hasn't lost a game. So hopefully T. John and a bunch I of other guys. I told him this stat, by the way. Oh, you did? Yes, after you, the game. You have passed that along. I did. I think that's such a fun stat. T. John makes a three. Hopefully a bunch of other guys, as I said, can knock down some big-time outside shots against Gonzaga to try and just make it weird. We always talk about making it weird. Like, make it weird. Be make it weird. close. Be make within single digits with eight minutes to play and then put the pressure on the home team where it's like, Oh, this isn't supposed to be happening. Like we're supposed we're supposed to win this game. You know the only team that's really given Mark Few fits in the kennel in the last like ten years? That much. It's BYU. BYU. It's BYU. They 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 are a little nervous sometimes, right? Uh Dick Fitel an hour ago, but I just saw it. A big battle in WCC, by the way. <laughs> BYU 14-3 versus 22 Zags. Oh <laughs> he's got uh he did Gonzaga's <laughs> the longest win streak at home, 16 in a row, which is all hashtag awesome, baby. That's hilarious. Is it in all caps? Because it should it's be. It's not in all caps. It should be. Been. Yeah, Dick Vitale is one guy that should tweet in all caps yes. at all times because that's how he speaks. He's a PTP! Absolutely. Topic two. What's the bigger game this week? With all that said, at Gonzaga tonight, number two in the country, 
or at San Francisco. It's hard to overlook the number two in the country and the fact that if Gonzaga wins, they're going to be number one. It's the Zags. Like, BYU wants to win a conference championship. Mark Pope has made no bones about it. Before BYU transitions to the Big 12, he said, we've got to figure out a way to win at least one of these West Coast Conference titles, whether in Vegas or in the regular season. It's never going to be the regular season. It's the tournament we're talking about, I think. So, if you ask a BYU player, they'd probably say, well, because it's the next game, but man, the championship goes through Gonzaga, so it's about Gonzaga, but... We're looking at the big picture, and we're like, how can BYU realistically get the best seed in the NCAA tournament and position yes. themselves the nicely po- for— The point is to make the NCAA tournament yeah. and win. And that extended buy in Las Vegas, you got to finish as one of the top two teams in yeah. West Coast Conference play. Yeah. Oh, it's a great buy. So for it's me, good. that means probably at San Francisco. I agree. Because the reality is, if you beat Gonzaga, that is a massive moment, right? But you're not expected to do it. He's a 15-point dog. You know what San Francisco is? A newcomer to the, oh, we're in the NCAA tournament discussion? BYU's familiar with this last two years of being in. San Francisco's new kid on the block. Yet, that's a tough game at San Francisco because this is also a reality check of, like, how good are the Dons if they beat – in 2019-20, that, as good as that Yoli Childs, T.G. Haas, um, you know, team was, Jake Toulson and company, Colby Lee. They did not win that game. Yeah. It's a tough place to play. Todd Golden's got those guys playing really well. A quad one opportunity for BYU yep. Yep. where they are not a 15-point underdog. Mm-hmm. This is a quad one real opportunity to get a big-time win on your resume, take care of business. And I'm interested to hear what Jay Billis has to say about San Francisco. Yes, because I'm not a huge believer quite yet. Does he believe in San Francisco? Yeah. Is he buying into the fact that the West Coast Conference like the is city? a four-bid league? Just kidding. Uh, by the way, Ken Palm says San Francisco by one. It's essentially a toss-up game. I think game. that makes sense. It's a toss-up game. Let's see it. Yeah, BYU at San Francisco, to me, all things considered, feels like the bigger game, which is crazy it to is. say because you're facing number two Gonzaga and you're having dreams as a BYU basketball team of winning a league championship. It goes through Gonzaga. In, in Vegas, in the regular season, you, Gonzaga gets it, yeah. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. A 26-point loss in Spokane against a Gonzaga team that seemingly could not miss last night for BYU men's basketball. 110-84. Dave, you pointed out some of the numbers earlier when we were going through our headlines. The Cougars... Shot almost 45% from the three-point line, 43% from the field. They had 49 points in the first half, but still trailed by 12. So with that in mind, was that BYU's best performance despite the 26-point loss? You know, it's they played well at times. When it was really tight, around 20, that's when you know a couple of turnovers from guys who don't usually turn it over. Uh, and then the game got out of hand, and it was 12 and 20 points. But the, but the Cougars kept fighting, and they kept shooting. Um, the rebounding battle ended up tied at 33, as Wild. big as the Zags were. But, of course, most of their shots went in, uh, and so they, they didn't have to rebound a whole lot. But it was important to me to watch Foos and Atiki uh, in that environment. They, they were taken to school. I mean, the Zag star player had 30 points. Drew Timmy, I mean, Timmy is a he's awesome. a lottery pick. Right. A lottery pick against Atiki, who is still trying to figure out where he's supposed to be. And and Foose as well. But we'll look back on 
on their careers, and we'll look back to games like that, where did they learn it? Where did they learn to play their position? Well, they learned it while getting beat playing it by some of the best in the country. And so I, I kind of footnote their performance last night in that setting, first time that they've been in that setting, first time they haven't been able to hear their head coach or their teammates in communicating. And you could tell on the switch defense and the help defense that just wasn't there. And it allowed Timmy, I don't know how many layups he had or shots right at the rim, but he was 13 of 14 and they weren't all three-pointers. But they took BYU to school down low. But being at school, you get educated, you yes. learn, you grow, you develop. Hard lessons. And I thought Jay Billis had some nice things to say about those two. BYU big men, they're going to get better, and they're going to get Big 12 ready, and they've got another season to do that. Yeah, Billis joined us yesterday and spoke on the fact that BYU is going to be an NCAA tournament team. And even while they were getting pummeled at points last night by Gonzaga, doubled down on that. So this is a tournament team. This is a good BYU basketball team. Like you said, Dave, this is just a hard lesson. Gonzaga, in large part to me, feels like a high-quality NBA G League team right now. Like, I would put them up against an NBA G League team. They probably wouldn't win that game, but I'd run the Zags out there with the likes of their 7-1 Kevin Durant-esque Chet Holmgren. And he really didn't do much. He had 12 points. And Drew Timmy and Andrew Nemhart. I mean, there were four NBA players on the court at the same time for Gonzaga last night. Yeah. Whether I, that's eventual or later, I mean, still, they're, they're NBA-type talent. So that is such a good team. They're going to be the number one team in the country and BYU with no Richard Harward and no Gavin Baxter, you wonder, oh, what kind of a difference would they have made? Well, Timmy's not going to shoot right. 13 for 14. They're not shooting 69% no. from the field. No way. And, and, and I, I really felt last night is where BYU missed those two, just in the help defense and, uh, and how they communicate with the other guys sure. on the defensive end. They really missed Baxter. They really missed Harward. Uh, and in exchange for the loss of seniors – You've got, you've got freshmen, and I thought that was the game. Despite the raining threes and all of that stuff, once the Zags knew they could get to the rim whenever they wanted, I just think the, the whole playbook opened up, and then BYU tightened up knowing they had to score every time down sure. the floor just to stay in it. Now, we asked the question, was this BYU's best performance? Clearly, no. They lost the game. I mean, they played really well in some big-time wins. Oregon knocked off number 3 UCLA last night, so – it's kind of good for BYU, knowing that BYU beat Oregon head-to-head. -head. Not sure how much that's going to be worth the metric or in the metrics If Oregon later keeps on. going, that'll be great. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but in a loss, clearly this was BYU's best performance in a loss. This They've lost four games. Vanderbilt, not great. Creighton, not great. Utah Valley, Lee. This is their best performance in a loss for sure. <laughs> well, John Rothstein tweeted out last night the Zags would have beaten the 96 Chicago Bulls. <laughs> he's, he's not far off. Our stat of the day, Mark Pope has not lost back-to-back -back regular season games as a BYU head coach. Will that streak continue okay. tomorrow okay. at San Francisco? Wow. All right. So a stat of the day to lead off topic two. Uh, you know what? Until I see it happen, I got to go with what I've seen in the last two and a half years for Mark Pope, and that is his teams bounce back nicely. So this is bad news for San Francisco, I think. Because BYU had a hard lesson against Gonzaga. They're going to regroup today. They're going to play way better defense against San Francisco. Granted, they'll be playing a team that's not nearly as talented as Gonzaga, so that'll help out with the defensive measures. But yeah, I think BYU does bounce back. And this is a place, except for the last few years, where BYU has really enjoyed success. For whatever reason, BYU teams shoot well at War Memorial Gymnasium up on the hilltop. I think that continues tomorrow. BYU bounces back and gets a huge win, a 
quad one win against San Francisco tomorrow. Because this is what Mark Pope's teams do. Until until we see them not win after a loss, I'm going to go with the trend. And who knows what's going on with California. I've seen a bunch of gyms that are empty. Uh, and if BYU goes into an empty gym or one that's that's got few fans due to the COVID situation, coming from where they had last night up in the kennel, it'll be a night and day experience of just energy in the gym, which I think works to BYU's advantage uh, now that they've had their pride wounded a little bit. But San Francisco is good. They're 15 and two, and this will be they'll see this as also their opportunity to legitimize them. And so I think it's going to be a very intense setting with both teams going, we got to get this one. Yeah, certainly. Now, remember the last names, Shabazz and Bouye. And if you are a BYU basketball fan, you probably already know them. They've been there for 30 years. Yeah, it feels like that. And they say the same thing about guys like Alex Barcelo at BYU, right? right. But Shabazz and Bouye are one of the most dynamic backcourts, not just in the West Coast Conference, but in the entire country. They're really, really good. And Shabazz specifically has lit up BYU a couple of times in the recent past uh, and been the big reason that the Dons have kind of had BYU's number recently. So guard that really talented guard line, and then hopefully some good things happen for BYU tomorrow. What a season 2021 football was. Certainly didn't end like any of us wanted, and uh, it affects the conversation, but let's have it. Um, where does this season, Jason, fit in the pantheon of college football um, seasons from BYU? And it is certainly a unique one in the conversation. Yes, it is. So before I give you my answer, these are the years that I put into kind of the mix. Okay. These are the options for me. Mm-hmm. 83, 84, 96. To me, those are the top three clearly, and then there's a gap. Okay. All right. You feel that way? Uh, well, we'll get there. Oh. Okay. 83, 84, 96, mm-hmm. 2001. Two, 2020, I almost said 2020, but that, for some reason that still sounds weird to me. Uh, and then 2021. Those are the ones that are, that are in the mix. Okay. So here's how I broke it down. Number one, I will not listen to any argument that does not begin with 1984 being number one. You, any, need, you need Dr. Spence then. Any, it's fine. He actually thinks 83 is the best. Any season that ends in a national championship is the best season. I agree. So that, that to me... If it doesn't begin with 84, it's a non-starter. Yeah. So that, that's my opinion. Yeah. Okay? Number two, I have 1996. Mm-hmm. And I, I also want to say, I think the way that you finish the season, if you have a bad ending, I think that that drops you down a little bit. Now, mm. there will be a caveat to that sure. coming up in just a second. Sure. But 96, you obviously, you're fifth. You win the Cotton Bowl. It's one of the greatest seasons that BYU's ever had. I have it number two. Mm-hmm. I have 1990 at number three. Oh, wow. Now, that season, that season did not end great. Yes. But yes. it is a season in which you mm. beat the number one team in the country in Miami, and you win a Heisman. So for me, winning a Heisman trumps not ending the season right. Mm. So that's the caveat there. Yeah. So for me, I have 1993rd. Then I have 2021 or 2021. Number four. Oh wow! I have it as I have it fourth right now, and tell the, me why ye? the re, now uh, again the season certainly did not end the way anybody wanted. Yeah, but I think because of the schedule that you had, you were replacing the number two pick in the NFL draft. You go five and zero oh against the Pac-12. You break a ten-game losing streak or excuse me, a nine-game mm-hmm. losing streak to Utah. Hey, it was so long, we're forgetting yes, the Yes, we're number. forgetting the actual yeah, The good fine. news is it's over. It's over. It's yeah. over. Yeah. 
I have it as the fourth best season in BYU history right now. Wow, that's pretty good. Okay, let, let me walk you through sort of my thought process on this. How do you weigh 2021? Seven Power Fives. We've never seen a season like it. And BYU goes 6-1 and one, 5 and over versus Pac-12. It's unique. It's on its own. Like you said, you're replacing Zach Wilson. Don't forget, first-team All-American left tackle Brady Christensen. Sure. Like, there was a lot, three other draft picks. There was a lot to replace there. To go 10-3 and three was nuts. And so I start in my mind with 84, 83, 96, in that order of the top three. Normally, to me, a three-loss team is not in the convo for one of the best teams ever. But I see uh, why you had 90 in there. Um, also, hey, this year, the greatest rushing season we've ever seen from BYU Cougar. True. Surpassing a Doak Walker award-winning year, yes. by the way, which is insane. Um, you know, you want to see how much times have changed. If, if Tyler Algier has that season in 2001, he also wins the Doak. But because it's 2021 and it's Power 5 heavy, no love. Not a finalist, which is disappointing, but it is what it is. Okay, let's talk about best wins. Utah finishes ranked 12th. This is the fourth best win in BYU history by finished ranking in the AP poll. How about that? It's 2021, bringing it. And oh, by the way, there's only been a couple other seasons, uh, I believe two, um, where BYU beat two teams that finished top 25. Maybe it's one, 83, beats UCLA and Air Force. And in 2021, Utah State finishes strong, ranked 24th. BYU had two wins versus top 25 teams. You'd be shocked, you know, as I mentioned, at how... Often that doesn't happen. Um, if the team was super good, BYU probably didn't win because they were super good. Mm-hmm. Baylor finishes fifth. BYU doesn't win that game. Like, that makes sense, right? But the Utah win and the Utah State wins, those are fantastic wins. Okay, um, so I kind of started, did you finish top 25? I, I have to at least get to there. And probably did you finish top 20? Um, because the AP poll didn't do 25 for a minute. So the 70s and 80s teams, it's, it's tough. But... Like, I have 1980 at number four. 12 and one, greatest single. They, they had a top 25 win in the end over SMU. Um, that comeback, Jim McMahon's the first quarterback in, in college football history to throw for 4K. Incredible. So that's four. And then after that, I need more time to figure it out. I don't know exactly. It's in the top 10 somewhere. Right. And it's weighted differently. It's just how heavily do you weigh the schedule with that? Look, and let's be honest. There could also be recency bias. If we, like you oh, said, if sure. you need more time, look. If if we for analyze sure. this for another month, maybe maybe the order changes. Maybe, <laughs> two, you know, this past season drops down. Well, do, do does the NFL draft play into how you feel about a year? It, they, it, I don't think it should, but it, I think it should. But it, but it, see, I, I don't know if it should because that doesn't. Let me tell you why I okay, think it ahead. should. Why you think? I think when you go back to 2019 and you look at that USC win that you should weigh it more heavily because you go, you know who the receivers were for USC? Michael Pittman and Amon Ra St. Brown. Right. Who yeah. crushed, who were crushing the receivers. Yes, they're great receivers. Colts and Lions. Yep. Um, Amon Ra St. Brown might be the rookie of the year. Um, when, when you look at that, you go, oh, oh, NFL talent matters. Like, what you had, what they had, and if that team had a bunch and you didn't and you won, it was like, that was a better win than you meant. That's why I say I think – in the conversation, the NFL draft should matter. Like if Tyler Algier is a third-round pick and then you know crushes it in the NFL, we can go back and be like, oh, he has even more uh, you know, standing in the conversation. Like when you have the best quarterback at BYU conversation, I don't put Steve first automatically because I'm just thinking BYU time, but most people say, well, Steve Young. Right. Because he's because the one the, pro football yes, Hall of Famer the NFL. from BYU. So it, it's interesting, and I, I love that um, – 
you know, we we can have twenty twenty one and understand that that ten and three is not the same as ten and three in two thousand eight. Like it's a different ten and three given who BYU played. I just wish that BYU had beaten UAB. We all do, because if BYU is eleven and two, it's very easy to say BYU's in the top five in all all time, given the schedule, given the Tyler Algier year, given the everything. But because they lose that third one, it's like oh, you feel like you feel like an 01 and a 90 team where it's like I know you're super good, right. but it's hard for me. Um, with the way the season ended, to really feel great about it. Like, not very good or great. But because of the schedule, I could see the argument like you made of, no, 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 this is one of the best. It is one of the best seasons ever. It's We're just trying to quantify exactly what. I find it interesting that neither of us have brought up a Bronco Mendenhall coach team. And and that, and I, I'm... I would start too soon. Um, well, see, and, and, and I want to I, I wanna follow five. that up by saying we're not saying that Bronco didn't have good teams. Oh, I, but yeah. it just, I, I think it's funny that of all the teams we picked, not one of them came during Bronco's tenure. And that, that's, not a, that's not a statement or an indictment against Bronco. I just found it interesting that, like, oh, wait a minute. None of the teams during that year that where the winning was so consistent did we pick at least in top four or five right now. In the six to ten best seasons of BYU history, there's probably two or three Broncos seasons. Yes. Uh, 06 and 09 to me are the are the two best of those four that finished ranked. Well, and, and, 08, <clears throat> no. And, and look at the NFL 07, guys that maybe. came out of Broncos, especially oh, on the defensive side. 06, you're blowing everybody out. Yes. And then the dramatic Utah yes. game. Um, 09, you're playing four teams that were ranked at the time. And uh, you're beating Oklahoma, who finished just outside the top 25. They were 8-5, and five, of course. Um, so it's an interesting conversation. I like cumulative win percentage as well. Like, how good were all the teams combined? 2021, it was 15th. Okay? In some of the hardest years, BYU didn't do that well, right? You need some of those teams to stink. Like, BYU needed Arizona to be a, a one-win team. South Florida was a two-win team. You have to have a couple of those, right? But BYU's best win... Is clearly Utah for emotional reasons, but we can now quantify. But now the way that the, the season fourth ended out. best win by final AP rank in BYU history—that's crazy. And you never would have thought at the time, like because you knew Utah that, went on this crazy run. Yes, yeah, yes, and and that's what. Look, I think it's fun though that that we're coming off two seasons in a row mm-hmm. that. Certainly, the win total speaks for itself when you put the two win- the two seasons together. But then, when you look at the performances and everything that surrounded it, look, and it's also very hard to not because we did we did this. I think this was with Spencer. I think this was the, one of the days that you were gone last week, and, and we were doing you know all time seasons and whatnot. You know, in two thousand twenty one was. I had it as pretty darn close to number one. Now eighty four, I had number oh, one. Oh right, 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 but. But be, with everything going on, it's it's hard to not attach going to the Big Twelve with tw- with this past season. You have to attach it. What, but why not? Well, be, it doesn't have anything to do with the actual season. Oh, are you talking in the best years in BYU? No, I'm athletics? just I'm, yes, I'm talking about in this discussion. Oh, in we, this discussion, will, yeah, yeah, yeah. We will separate, look fondly separate. on this, but it's it's every time I think about this season, though, I'm like, oh yeah, and we, we got the news that BYU's going to the Big Twelve, right? And so it's hard to. To, okay, but I, but I can't think about that right now because that has nothing to do with the season. We never did that with uh, 2010. Oh, and BYU announced <laughs> right. it was independent. Yay. But it is, New it Mexico is, Bowl. It is such a part of the season <laughs> that you, you physically have to disconnect sure. it sure. from this argument because otherwise it bumps it up. 
You know right. what I mean? Because right. that's so monumental. What, what's the great? It's better than the Natty. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, all I know is there are a certain amount of days until the next game. Mm-hmm. Hit it. Hit it. Countdown to the Bulls. 235. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, live audio from Tampa, uh, which is very exciting. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now over Zoom is our good friend and one of the best to ever do it at BYU at the quarterback position. Now he is the second-year player for the New York Jets because he's successfully traversed through his rookie season. Zach Wilson is with us on the show. Zach, great to have you here. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation after a wild rookie year. Yeah, wild year. Wild year for sure. It's, uh, it's good to be back and see you guys. Let's talk about it, man. How would you evaluate your first season as an NFL quarterback? Yeah, all the ups and downs, you know, the emotions of it all and uh, the learning experiences, you know, the stress, the fun, you know, it was a little bit of everything. Uh, but I really did enjoy it. Um, you know, I really do enjoy it out there in New Jersey, uh, New York, the whole, the whole uh, environment, the fan base, uh, you know, my coaches, my teammates. I really do enjoy it out there a lot. Zach, who hit you the hardest? And after you got hit, what were you thinking? Um, I would honestly say the hardest hit I took all year was probably week one against Carolina. Uh, I took a sack. They brought, you know, wrapped two guys right up to A-gaps. I should have thrown the ball, held on to it, and, and I just, you know, I, I got smashed. I can't even remember who it was, but uh, <laughs> one of those big D-linemen they got up front. Now, those are the hard lessons that come along with transitioning into the NFL, but Let's discuss what the best thing you learned in your first season was. What would you say is at the top of the list of lessons learned? Yeah, one, I would say it was just simplifying. You know, how can I simplify my thoughts? I think when I first got there, it was like, you know, now that I'm an NFL quarterback, I need to know so much more about the game. And I do, and I, I do think that's part of it. But once you once you get out on the field, it's how can I just have very few thoughts to be, you know, very efficient in understanding what I'm seeing and what I'm doing and, um, you know, you're able to just play more comfortable and, and able to just get into more of a rhythm and just play like yourself. So I think simplifying was a, was a big one for me. Let's talk about these meet and greets after the game. And we've shown pictures on this show of you with Tom Brady and with Taysom and, and all the quarterbacks you've come face to face with. M- many of those you grew up watching and now you're uh, now you're their equal, so to speak, from the other side. What are those like? What do you talk about? And, and like Tom Brady. When you go up to Tom Brady and and before what you were in elementary school, he was playing in the league, and now you're playing him and you had him beat until <clears throat> late in the fourth quarter. What is that conversation like? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, not not even just the conversation, but I think, you know, like the pregame warm-ups of, you know, going out there and just seeing like, you, you know, me playing for the Jets against the Bucks doesn't feel like the same Bucks I, I was watching on TV or like the Patriots, you know, the the whole thing just it, it's weird, you know, and I I'm like, you know, partway through the game and I look across and I'm like, this is crazy. You know, that's Gronk and that's Tom Brady and, and Mike Evans and AB, you know, all the, all the different guys over there. And it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, it really is, uh, it, it, I don't know if the reality of it is really like set in yet. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to like think about, but I really am enjoying it. 
When you and Tesa met up for just a couple of minutes after that ball game late in the season, obviously that game probably meant more to Cougar Nation than any game in the history of the NFL. What did you guys talk about? I know you just had a few seconds together. Yeah, it was huge for BYU. You know, kind of like what you said, uh, I was I was expecting the whole stadium to be full of blue, uh, you know, having two BYU quarterbacks back in there. Uh, but, you know, we kind of just exchanged, you know, back and forth, just wishing each other best of luck and, you know, kind of how we're doing with the whole process and just being in the NFL and the NFL game and adjusting and, you know, kind of how he's doing and all that. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much it. So it was kind of good to, you know, just catch up for a little bit. New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Zach, midway through the season, essentially, your quarterback's coach and friend John Beck joined the staff in New York. What kind of a difference did that make for you in kind of your day-to-day preparation and helping you get better over the course of the season? Yeah, it was huge. You know, having John out there was uh, was awesome. It was everything I could have hoped for. You know, I, I appreciate the Jets for allowing that to happen and you know, the cool thing was, is I didn't, I didn't want John to just be another a voice in the quarterback room, you know, saying the same kind of thing. I wanted him to, you know, approach it kind of how I was, you know, sit and listen and don't say anything the whole quarterback meeting and, and just kind of take it all in. And then, you know, we got to spend time outside of the facility, you know, whether it was in the film room or, or out on the field, kind of talking about things, how I should approach things, you know, the mental side of the game. And then, and then physically, of course, of, you know, how I can, how I can fix a certain throw that I missed or my footwork or, you know, just being comfortable with it. You know, he definitely, uh, he definitely helped in that aspect. It was, it was great to have him out there. Now John's a pretty low key guy. So did you <clears throat> adequately institute him in the New York culture and, and raise his swag by doing so? <laughs> <laughs> no, John was still John. He was a good dude. <laughs> I figured as much. Yeah, you played at Corner yeah. Canyon, and and you had a good time the whole time. And you played here at BYU, and you 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 laughed, you 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 won. You, it looked like you're having the time of your life with your friends. And then you go play for the Jets, which is now your job. So, what is the difference between playing for fun and love of the game, and your job? And how do you merge both worlds? Yeah, I mean, first I'd say that you can definitely see the business side of it. You know how it works, and you know, it's really crazy. Every single week, there's new guys in the locker room. You know, you don't feel like uh, it's the same. You know, every single week, we have different guys playing, different guys thrown in there, you know, money decisions and things that go around. And um, it truly does feel like a job from that point. But once it once it comes down to the game and kind of the things we're all going through and, you know, kind of having each other's back, it, it really is the same as it's been my whole life. You know, I, I really do enjoy it. And the best part is I don't have to go to school. So, you know, I sit at home sometimes and I'm like, you know what, this is awesome. I got to play football for a living and, you know, I, I can, I can go hang out with the boys, watch tape. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what I want to do. And I don't have to go home and do homework. So. Yeah, no, no kidding. That might be the greatest celebration of all. Yeah, and I mean, Dave and I the in our own part. right, in our, in our jobs, we're, we're glad that we don't have to take finals yeah. and do homework as well. I love exactly. watching your relationship with your head coach, Robert Solid develop over the year. Uh, but from your perspective, how, how would you explain what that relationship is like right now? Yeah, I just think he's an awesome dude. I mean, he understands, you know, I think what it takes to be a good winning football team, uh, the culture that he's set. Um, you know, he really gets to know his players uh, down to a personal level, I think, which is which is the way to do it. And, you know, I think since day one, you can kind of see, you know, the foundation that he's set and what he's trying to do as a team. And, and you know, that's why I have so much respect for him is he's really doing it the right way. And guys really – uh, respect him and, and the whole coaching staff. So I really do think we have a good group in there and um, I'm excited to just keep working with them, you know, especially with coach solid, because, you know, 
I was pretty much his draft pick, which is cool. So me and him are hand in hand as far as just, you know, being a part of this team and, and making it work together. Now, Zach, I read the New York Post this week, and I'm not quite sure how to ask this question, so I'm going to dance around it a little bit. But uh, it had everything to do with uh, your personal life and nothing to do with football. And so my question for you is, how different is the world you're now living in compared to last year when the New York Post is writing stories about whether or not you've erased pictures from your Instagram account of someone you might be dating? It's an example of the world you're in. Describe this world that you're in. Yeah, it's definitely different. You know, I, I guess I kind of expected that, but when you're at when you're at this level, everyone tries to analyze kind of everything you do in life. And, you know, it's really part of it, you know, and it's a good thing for me to have to, you know, understand how to how to handle everything and, and handling my business the right way. And, um, you know, just always making sure I'm doing things the right way. Um, you know, but as far as that goes, I mean, it's just going to be part of the job. And uh, you kind of just got to, you know, just move on and, and just kind of ignore it. But you know, I guess it means you're doing something when people are talking. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it what it initiates you into being a big time sports personality in a big city. I guess uh, you'd like it to be on touchdowns and and victories, um, but I guess this is just part of being in the big time, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's part of being in that New York market, and um, it definitely has its uh, its pros for sure. You know, along with the cons, but um, I do think in the long run that it is it is a good thing. Zach, at this point, January 14th today, you've got roughly six or seven months before things really get cooking again and we get back to training camps and football begins in full again. But that doesn't mean that your offseason doesn't include a lot of football. So walk us through your calendar, a little bit of vacation time, and then when do you get back to work and, and where are you going to be working? Yeah, so I'll be in Utah for the next month or so, uh, you know, hanging out with the family, you know, relaxing getting back into training this next week, I've kind of, you know, tried to get the soreness off from uh, that past game, you know, so kind of feeling it. So I'm trying to wait till that, you know, kind of goes away. And then um, I'm going to go out to Miami for a little bit, probably California, um, maybe a little bit of Arizona as well. You know, I'm really trying to find, you know, if it's not Utah, where do I want to live uh, someday Buy a house, um, hopefully somewhere with warm weather. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to figure out. And then uh, mid April, we go back to, uh, to New Jersey and, um, you know, I'll move back into my place. We'll be there for about two months. We start off season workouts. So we'll do, you know, about four weeks of, of just lifting and running. And then we'll do, I think about 10 practices of OTAs, similar to spring ball. And then, uh, we get about six weeks off, uh, to go home. Some guys will vacation, whatever. Um, and then the last week of July, we start back up for, for training camp and, and really, you know, training camp in the NFL is a little bit different with preseason. It's about two weeks mm. until the first preseason game, you know, so that was new for me. I felt like the season just came so fast once we got back. So, um, you know, I got to enjoy this time, enjoy the offseason, but, but definitely get after it and make sure I'm ready by the time that, that last week of July comes around. Zach, knowing what you know now based on the last eight months, and if you were <clears> the BYU quarterback coach today, what would you be teaching Jaron Hall, Jacob Conover, and the guys in that room? Yeah, I think one of the coolest lessons that I learned from my coaches, you know, something they harped, harped on me for. Uh, and then also, you know, what really kind of did it for me was when we had joint practices with the Packers, Aaron Rodgers talked about it. You know, you see all the flashy plays, but he was just, he talked about reading with your feet and that your feet are completely tied in your decision-making and, and the timing within the play. You know, if you, if you do a certain drop, you know, that first hitch needs to be taking you to progression one and the second one to your next. And it just keeps the rhythm and the play and the timing all sync together so that you're always on time and you're always, 
your feet are always in the ground and you're always able to make throws because you're balanced and, and you're set, you know? So that was, that was one thing I think coach A-Rod did a great job on, but that was something I, I always felt like if I was a quarterback coach, I would just really harp on it, you know, making sure that you simplify the game and you read with your feet and uh, the rest kind of takes care of itself. Read with your feet. That's the advice okay. for today. I love it. I love it. We're passing it on to Jaron Hall right now. We're clipping that off. Yeah. We're sending it to Jaron <laughs> Hall right now. Uh, Zach, before you go, I, I do want to ask you about how much you're actually able to pay attention to BYU football because you're so in the thick of everything in the NFL and preparation and film room. And I mean, your coach has said at times they had to tell you to go home. I know that. I, mean, I talked to you. I know how you are. You're, you're a football junkie. It's awesome. But how much are you able to pay attention to what your guys and your friends at BYU were doing in the mix of being an NFL quarterback? I mean, one, we got to we got to stop with those. Uh, what was it? 10 30 p.m. games for me back <laughs> on the East Coast. I mean, I mean, I was maybe catching the first quarter if I was going to sleep. You know, I found out I found out we beat Utah the next morning, actually, you know, and I wanted to stay up. But I was like, I got a game in the morning. I can't you know, I can't I can't stay up till two in the morning watching this thing. So. Um, for one, we got to get that changed, but I always try to keep up with those guys and, you know, make sure I'm texting them, see how they're doing. And, and they had an awesome year. So I think it was a lot of fun, but I made sure that, you know, I tried to watch as many games as possible. I came to that, the game in, uh, in Vegas, you know, against Arizona and, uh, just trying to support my brother as well, you know, cause my whole family's going to go right through BYU. So it's exciting. Hey, Zach, uh, for what it's worth, I know you have corner Canyon connections and, there's some pretty good quarterbacks out there. We can't mention specific names, but if you want to put in a good word for BYU, feel free to do so, okay? Yeah, he probably doesn't care what I have to say. We'll see. <laughs> hey, I just like the fact you're back in Utah. You can go to Wendy's and eat whatever you want, and it won't show up in the New York Post. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. It might. <laughs> Zach, it's great to talk with you. Uh, glad you're enjoying some family time back here in Utah. We wish you the best in your off-season training. Always a class act, and we'll talk to you again soon, man. Yep, appreciate you guys. Good to hear from you. Got a Zach Wilson, New York Jets rookie quarterback, now making his way into year number two. Four and 13, Dave. I still can't get over the fact that the Jets beat the number one seed in the AFC playoffs, the Titans. Like the capability is there, right? Right, right. And I mean, my favorite highlight of the season. The dead. Yes. had them beat. Yes. My favorite highlight of the season came in that game against the Titans when Zach rolled out to his right and just kind of pointed to Corey Davis like, hey, go deep. Yeah. And throws a dime 60 yards for a touchdown. They win that game. That was awesome. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Dave, I want to talk about the international presence that is within BYU athletics, specifically BYU men's and women's basketball right now. Because really, we, you hear the university moniker, the world is our campus. You look at the rosters on the men's and women's teams, it's very real. Four international players for Mark Pope. Five on Jeff Judkin's squad. Let's outline all of them. On the men's side, Atiki Ali Atiki is from Tanzania. Gideon George, of course, doing wonderful things for the people of Nigeria. Fusini Traore is from Mali. And then Winitana Peora is from New Zealand. Okay, those are the four there. Then as we shift to the women's side, you look at Maria Albiero, who is Brazilian. Signe Glantz from Sweden. Tegan Graham, who is a massive addition for BYU over the past two years out of New Zealand, and fellow New Zealanders Ariel Mackey-Williams and Kaylee Smiler. Nine players from international locations at BYU. So, Dave, my question is, looking at those rosters, 
Is this the key to sustained success for BYU basketball on the men's and women's side? It's certainly an avenue to pursue, which has not been pursued, you know, in recent years. But Mark Pope and Jeff Judkins and, and coaches on campus are willing to find them, whether they're in different countries or they're in the portal from different countries, but bring them here. I wrote an article yesterday on Foos in the Deseret News. So last night, Foos started at center, a devout Muslim from West Africa starting at center for BYU. That's never happened it's incredible. before. Incredible. His teammate, Atiki, Ali Atiki, also a devout Muslim, who started two games over at Diamond Head Classic uh, in Honolulu. So he was the first. Now, Foose is the first regular starter who's a devout Muslim from Africa. And you go, I wonder if the guys who built the sports department at BYU all those years ago had an inkling of, one, there would be a BYU TV that can take whatever happens here to the world. But two, that someday a devout Muslim from West Africa would be the starting center. Incredible. And you've got to go all the way back 50 years before Foose's recruiting visit for the Gonzaga game two years ago. 50 years back, and Kresmer Chosich comes to BYU. The first, as Billy Packer, the longtime CBS sports analyst, said he was the first international player to come and be a superstar and open the door for everybody, not just BYU guys, for foreign athletes to come to the United States, get an education playing college basketball. And, uh, and, and here you got, a pre you, got, you got Chosich, and then years later, you look at today's lineup and roster for BYU, and you go, pioneer, and those who made it possible, and here they are. And I see no reason to believe that it's not going to continue. Sure. And I look at the international presence at the highest level in the NBA. I mean, there's a real case. Some people think Luka Doncic is the best all-around player in the NBA right, right now. International guy. You know, and that's a conversation and a debate with NBA fans for another day. But the point is, he's incredible. And it doesn't stop there. There are so many good international players at the NBA level. And how about the impact that uh, that these kids have on all the other kids here on campus? Sure. Um, Mark Pope told the story uh, in my article that uh, before the game, a, a player takes 30 seconds with a little devotional and then leads the team in prayer. And it came Foose's turn, and he stood up and gave a 30-second devotional and led the team in a Muslim prayer Amazing. in his native language. And then they took the floor. And one, this is how he develops the best locker room in the country that he likes to talk about. This brings them together in the most unique ways. But the fact that that's never happened before in the history of BYU, and the rest of the team is participating. So it elevates everybody. And Mark Pope said, BYU is the greatest destination for a faith-based student or student athlete in the country. Um, regardless of religion. Regardless of religion, and that they will be treated, it'll be safe, and this will be an environment for them to build their faith uh, more so than any place in the country, and he is right. And, and these athletes want that. Uh, and, and, and you know what? For kids that don't want that, there are plenty of other places that can meet those needs. Sure. But for this particular need, and he's seeing it from his guys, whether it be George uh, from Nigeria or, or Atiki or Foos, um, he says it's magical. Yeah. I look at the lessons that those guys are teaching us, Yeah, you know, from their right. very unique standpoints and of service and love and acceptance. Like, we're talking about BYU being a good place for them to feel safe. They are helping the BYU community. They are helping you and me and every BYU fan 
by showing these incredible examples of love and service and respect, and we could use more of it. So, I mean, it is it is an incredible impact, not just on the floor, but clearly their impact off the floor is just as meaningful, if not more meaningful. And, yeah, I mean, I look at teams even in the West Coast Conference, Dave. Gonzaga has had incredible success recruiting international players, and those guys have gone on to do amazing things. DeMontis Sabonis. St. Mary's had the Australian and New Zealand pipeline going for a long time and still have it going. They bring in these great players and develop them, and some of them move on to the NBA. It's it's wild. So St. Mary's discovers them. Gonzaga discovers them. They help lift these guys to their NBA careers. Why not BYU get involved in that mix? Who said his goals that he wanted to achieve in life were not attainable in Mali? And his parents sent him here, sent him to Wasatch Academy in San Pete County. Two years later, he's at BYU, and he said, I'm, it's hard. English is his third language. He finished the semester with a 3.86 GPA. He's crazy. And it's, he said he's got a lot of good people helping him. Um, but his favorite class was a religion class. He said he learned a few things and, uh, and, and also saw the similarities between his faith and the predominant faith on campus. And, uh, and he's a joy to be around. Uh. It's like recruit more fooses, more atikis, <laughs> but be patient when yes. there's freshmen playing at Gonzaga. <laughs> they are going to grow up, and they are going to be really good. Ah, great stuff. And I'll say this to close out on the women's side. Tegan Graham, like as right. amazing as Shaylee Gonzalez and Paisley Harding and Lauren Gustin all are, and Sarah Hampson with her presence, I feel like the most essential glue piece on that women's team is the New Zealand star Tegan Graham. She makes it all work. She's like the magic potion that makes the concoction work and be fabulous, right? BYU would be great without her. They're special with her. Don't let her shoot. She's the best three-point shooter in the West Coast Conference, yeah. and yet teams still leave her up. But she's been, she's been dynamite Yeah, I agree. in I so agree. many ways. Great passer. Had seven assists last night. Yeah, so an international player, I feel like, is what makes BYU go from great to special this season. Yeah. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Okay, uh, in case you missed it, uh, Trey Stewart, a freshman on the BYU basketball team. Uh, hoops is in his blood. His dad, Ray, is the women's basketball assistant coach. Still got game, wanted his son to be able to shoot from deep, hence the name. Now Trey's carving out his own basketball path, including finding happiness on and off the court. This is Deep Blue featuring Trey Stewart, presented by Brady Industries, Simply Better. Always liked the name Trey. Playing basketball my whole life, I always felt like I wanted to name my son Trey after the three-point shot. So Ray, my husband, played overseas and played in college, and so... His dad felt strongly about that. We are a basketball family. Basketball has always been a part of our life. But my, my fear was if he couldn't shoot, we were going to name him Doyce. So <laughs> I'm glad that he can shoot. So we stuck with Trey. Basketball is always kind of an escape for me. Like, regardless of how my mental health is doing, I can always count on going to basketball practice and just 
Yeah, I may be mad at basketball, but it's like I'm in my own world. It's like I can just release, leave everything at the door, go in, train my heart out. And like the harder I work, the more I forget, which is nice because it just is such a relief for me. So I never really questioned like, obviously that ninth grade, it was just like a battle of like, man, like this is rough. Like, do I keep going if I'm this bad? <laughs> Trey's freshman year, he sat on the bench and didn't play hardly at all. And that's a tough place to be in for a kid. And so I think that that was a low point. That was hard for him. When he was losing, I felt like those hard times that he had in high school, that, that made him the man he is today. I remember the coach coming up to me after a game and saying, oh, I forgot to play your son. And I thought, uh oh, this is, this is not good. But Ray, and Ray, as being a coach, has always said, well, you gotta work harder, you gotta be better. That, that's the only way you're gonna play. And I think he took it, Trey took that as fuel and absolutely worked harder, worked harder, worked harder, and then started varsity as a sophomore. He had to go through that in order to see, okay, that was, that's the way it was, but if I continue to work hard and grind, this is what I can achieve. You're in the same situation now, Trey. This is freshman year. Next year, hey, then it'll just, <laughs> yep, you do it all over again. But it is good though, it's good, good practice for life. Yeah, life. To me, it's just like this dark cloud. Like there's not a lot of words to describe it besides just like loneliness and just wanting everything to end. Depression, like I still deal with that today. It kind of stems from that ninth grade year where I wasn't doing that good at basketball, so I really isolated myself. We are champions of therapy and whatever someone needs to, to address those issues. So I think that's been really good for Trey, and Trey's always been very open. A common thing in sports is just push it under the rug, like be a man, take the next step, continue forward. Being able to share my experiences hopefully helps other people understand that like it's normal, like people are like that, and that's just like the card you're dealt. I think he's just always had a sensitivity to mental health issues and just feels strongly that you can change your mindset if you'd like to, and I think he's always been one to put motiv motivational sayings on mirrors and around to help him to get in a good mind space. He's always been very goal-oriented, and so I think default happiness is kind of a natural part of his personality to help people and to create awareness for mental health and to help people be happy. I've just always loved being creative. Like I learned to sew a few years ago, and that was an escape for me, like just random little things that I like to do. He's got a little bit of sewing and like home ec vibe. So now he's doing these unbelievable deals on shoes where he can print out any type of little uh, imaging that he wants and, and he's putting it on guys' shoes. I call it Default Happiness, like that's the name of my shoe company brand. And it just kind of stems from things called trigger words. I think it's important to say that default happiness doesn't mean you put on a smile and pretend there aren't any issues, but that you can turn your situation around and find joy in life so that your default is to be happy. You know, we're here to be happy. It's just who he is. You know, this is just one slice of a thousand different things that he's gonna do that are really special and super swag. Because most athletes, you know, you see him on the court, you know, after the game, like, oh, that guy's a great guy. Seems like a great guy. But then you'll hear some other stories rumbling around that, ooh, that guy off the court, he's doing some things that he shouldn't be doing. 
not not him. What you see is what you get. And that's uh, the sign of a, a good man that he doesn't change who he is. Uh, it doesn't matter who he's around. He's going to be himself. Trey Stewart, looking forward to his career at BYU. No question about it. I had a chance to talk with him for pregame a couple of games ago. Love talking with he's him. He's awesome. Yeah, he's great. He really is. Yep. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Earlier, we sent out a poll question based on the results of the final AP College Football Rankings where BYU and Utah sit, 19 for the Cougars, 12 for the Utes. Then we asked, would you rather beat Utah but finish ranked lower than the Utes or finish ranked higher than the Utes but not beat Utah? Okay, We have polls on multiple social media platforms. On Twitter, 91% of you prefer beating Utah mm-hmm. but finishing ranked lower. You'll take that I get option. It. I get it. It's a massive number, man. Instagram is not far off. 87% on Instagram have voted in favor of, hey, I don't care if BYU finishes ranked lower than Utah as long as they beat the Utes. Yeah, I, I get it, man. Um, <laughs> I, think if, I think if the uh, streak wasn't the streak and it was kind of even, you know, the last decade it was 5-5, five and five, I think we'd feel a little more differently. How do you think we're going to feel uh, when BYU's in the Big 12? I, I, I think it's we, we're going to experience what Utah experienced, which is, yes, we still care about the rivalry, but we care more about where we finish in conference sure. than that. If BYU wins a Big 12 championship, are you willing to lose to Utah? One million percent. Yes, just better. like Utah said, yeah, I'll lose to BYU every year U- if I can win a Pac-12 championship. Utah laid losing to BYU on the altar to get to the Rose Bowl, if you will, right? Because this is a question that Utah fans have asked themselves of some that we know, is would we sacrifice a BYU loss to get to the Rose Bowl? 100%. Why wouldn't you? Like, I don't mean to offend anybody, but you're an idiot if, if you don't understand the <laughs> how awesome that is, right? Oh, but dude, I don't want to hear from Daryl in my ward. Shut up, Daryl, right? We've talked about that. <laughs> but it, it just depends what you value, right? If you value, like, I don't care if BYU goes one it. I like to, we like to make you sound dumb if you, you have the like extreme opinion we don't agree with. Uh, wait, if BYU lost to Utah, blah, blah, if you're BYU Utah, a conference championship in a Power Five league is way bigger than anything. Like, oh was, my gosh, was Utah come on. penalized by the people that matter the most on the committees that put them in the Rose Bowl by losing to BYU? The committee did not put oh. them in the Rose Bowl. They won the Pac-12. They won so the they, Pac-12. There were no, there was no committee that gave them that. Like they earned that. If BYU wins the Big Twelve and the Sugar's not a playoff game, doesn't matter what happens that's against Utah. The price is the Sugar. Like that's what's up. I freaking love Sugar, man. I want Sugar on everything. My mom would buy us like Cheerios with no, you know, and and like cornflakes, but not frosted. We would have to apply the sugar. I will apply all the Sugar Bowl sugar I could possibly get if BYU ever wins the Big 12, which would be just awesome. That was the same like, it took house. it Same thing. Yeah, hashtag. Except uh, we, didn't, yeah. we weren't encouraged to add sugar. It was just eat the cereal. But then ever, occasionally oh, you would I'm get the box of sugar all. cereal, even like Honey Nut Cheerios, oh. and we would eat them in like an hour and a half, and they were gone. I barely Done. eat Honey Nut Cheerios now. Like I need more sugar. <laughs> 
I know. I'm just saying, like the Honey Nut Cheerios were like a commodity. Yes. Now yes. it's like I have all the sugar cereals. I, I had a conversation with my wife this week about how Marshmallow Mateys does not bring the same amount of marshmallows <laughs> that Lucky Charms does. I, I'm not sure I'm going to eat it. Like I need more sugar. The sugar of being in a Power Five league is going to be awesome because now it's a meritocracy. Now you earn it. You either win the league or you don't, right? You earn that. And BYU's going to be in a division, hopefully win said division at some point. Remember, it took Utah a long time. What was this, year 11 in the Pac-12? And I have a theory, because USC is down, someone's got to take that spot. And, and guess Oregon, what? for that matter. Oregon was down, and Washington's way down, too. Utah stepped through that door that was open. Hopefully, BYU has a similar opportunity in the Big 12. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.